0: I've, I've baptized some, some guys that were a little bit on the older side. And it it just, it's like winding them up and sending them off. You know, I mean, I, it just, there's something about it that just, I don't know, you'd have to be there. Again, you'd have to be in here to understand any of that. And you don't want to be there. Okay. As we begin our our, continuing our worship now, would you stand? I'm going to read from Luke 19, verses 37 through 44. This is our reading for today. Hear now God's word from Luke. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church. Amen. 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 Thank you, you may be seated. <clears throat> today's the day that we mark Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. In today's world, we call it Palm Sunday. It's the day the throne of people or the throngs of people watched our Lord come into Jerusalem on a donkey. They laid palms and their cloaks before his path and they shouted their hosannas to him as he went by. John specifically mentions palms. you got our reading for today. doesn't mention them at all. A little trivia there for your next trivia party if you ever have one. <laughs> Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Words quoted from Psalm 118.26. We see these words. In Luke 19, verse 38 of our reading today. Amazing how many of those who proclaimed his lordship over them that day, less than a week later, would be screaming out, crucify, crucify. This entrance was pretty bold as well, if you think about it. I mean, here the Pharisees, the chief and the high priests were wanting to get hold of Jesus for the express purpose of destroying him. Thus, in their minds, they are destroying his ministry. You'd think someone in that kind of circumstance would come into town in the cloak of night, wouldn't you? As quietly as he possibly could. And yet, Jesus' entry was fulfilling prophecy. Look, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus had God and he had scriptures on his side as he rode into danger. That should be a good picture of thought for each one of us to always keep in our minds, no matter where we go, shouldn't it? As these folks waited for Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem so should we be waiting for his triumphant entrance back into the world. As Jesus rode into town, he was bringing with him a desire for peace upon the land. Absence of war, maybe, but more of a sense of love among the people. A sense of God's presence among Jesus' brethren. He was, after all, a Jew, but just like they were. He was in Jerusalem to to do exactly what the throng of people who were preparing for and going to participate in by the end of the week, and that was the Passover celebration. He was just like any other Jew at that particular time. That was the biggest celebration of the Jewish calendar year. Now, a little geography here, or something like that. The the population in Jerusalem was normally about 25,000 people the week of Passover, it would swell to 125,000 people. Quite a bit of difference. And many had heard of Jesus before they ever laid eyes on him. They perhaps had heard of the, the, the what had happened just previous to that with Lazarus being raised from the dead. Just before Jesus came into Jerusalem, and the way I read this in John 12, it looks like Lazarus was in the entourage that followed Jesus into Jerusalem on that last week. And they were curious to see who Jesus was. And maybe, just maybe, he might pull off another one of those noted miracles they had heard so much about. Some perhaps had been sick with some ailment that had dogged them for years. And they simply wanted to, as the lady with the the order of blood or disorder had done in Matthew 9... Come and just simply touch the hem of his garment. They were very desperate people. Many were there because they thought he was going to lead a revolution. And this was the time. And Jerusalem was the place it was going to happen. He was going to lead the overthrow of Romans, Rome's opp- oppressive rule over the Jewish people. Now... Understand this, with the excessive number of people who were going to be in Jerusalem at that particular time, and the threat of Jesus being this revolutionary, they really beefed up the number of Roman soldiers in the the Jerusalem area as well at this particular time. They had to. They had no other choice or face the possible ire of, of a lot of Jewish people who were being led by this Jesus. But maybe some of them were in the crowd that day and they were believers in what Jesus was doing and who of who he was. After all, he was God's son come to save the people eternally. Everyone raising their voices as this man, Jesus, enters into town. Now, was he a man of peace? Or was he a man of violent revolution whose demeanor seemed so gentle? Think Mr. Rogers, you know? Same, same kind of thing, right? This man riding on a donkey of all things. As Brett said, it was, he didn't come in a Porsche, he, he came on a scooter. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, the people shouted. As again we see in Luke 19, verse 38. Jesus was there to bring peace, all right. He was, after all, as we see in Isaiah 9, verse 6. The Prince of Peace come to save the people. He offers us the same peace now as He did back some 2,000 years ago. But let me explain This idea of peace is through this story that I read just recently. Someone was looking for the perfect picture of peace. But as hard as he looked for a painting that portrayed peace, so hard was it actually hard to find one. So at last he decided to host a contest. He canvassed the world's leading artists, and challenged them to compete with one another in creating the perfect picture of peace. And of course, he offered a considerable sum of money for whoever won this thing. And so these leading artists all set to work. The day of judgment, you might say, finally arrived. And there was a crowd at the particular gallery where they were, and people were buzzing with excitement, one by one. The paintings were revealed, and with each passing image, the crowd grew more and more amazed. Eventually, there were only two paintings left. The first one was revealed, and the crowd, almost as one man, nodded that this must surely be the winner. Now, I want you to do something for me. Close your eyes. I want you to listen to this description and in your own mind, vision it. Before them, they saw an image of a perfectly still lake, almost like a sheet of glass, mirroring the early rays of that day's sunshine. There was not a cloud in the sky. All was quiet around Aside from this scenery itself, this painting seemed almost perfect. One could sense the calmness in each brushstroke. Colors mixed just right. And the perspective was neatly balanced. All right, you can open your eyes for just a second. The crowd almost felt sorry for the next artist of the one of the last painting. How could anybody do any better than this, right? When the last painting was revealed, The crowd took a step back in shock, completely taken aback by the image that they saw before them. You know the routine, close your eyes again. Don't go to sleep. In the painting, they saw a thundering waterfall plummeting down a rocky cliff. The crowd could almost feel the icy waters crashing on the rocks below. Dark storm clouds threatened to explode with lightning and rain, and the trees were bent heavily against the strong wind. Not exactly a picture of peace. But there, in the midst of the danger and terrifying scenes, stood a single tree that clung in the rocks at the very edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters, as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. And in the elbow of this branch was seen a little bird that had built her nest there. Quiet and unflustered, the little bird sat resting on her eggs with her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones. There in the face Of that tiny bird. In the midst of frightening trouble. And danger. The crowd saw. A perfect manifestation. Of peace. You can open your eyes again. We hear a story such as this. And we try to. to Equate that, that kind of peace. With what we can comprehend. And we see. Jesus in and around all of that peace that we might ever have any kind of thoughts about. After all, shouldn't we see Jesus in this same manner as as some of those who were there on that particular day on Palm Sunday saw Him? Should we not have that same sense of peace that many of them did? Maybe we have a hard time trying to see Jesus in any other kind of light than what we know Him as, simply as our Lord and Savior. And I mean no disrespect there but it's almost clinical when we say something like that. But after all, we do have the history book, don't we? We kind of get a better idea about who Jesus was because we have his history right there in our hands. Folks, back then, we're living that history. And yet we have to understand this Jesus from another perspective We hear words from Jesus to the effect of Matthew 16, 24. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Or look at John 14, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are perhaps rather harsh words for many. They're they're too black and white for this gray world that we live in. There are too many religions around now and in years past and in centuries past that aren't so black and white. They make it a more pal make it more palatable for us to reach nirvana or whatever other kind of non-condemning strata that we can dream up. I mean, wouldn't it be much easier for us if we just sought worldly peace, loved each other a lot, smiled a bunch at each other, and did good things, just nice to each other? Wouldn't that be a lot easier than having to live the life of a Christian? Couldn't that be enough to get us into this place of non-punishment if punishment actually existed? I mean, how necessary is Jesus in a case like that? Maybe many thought that way back then and subsequently since then. Clear on up up until today. Maybe many of those folks who saw Jesus as a revolutionary when he came to Jerusalem were not surprised when he went in and wreaked havoc on the money changers' tables and those who were doing business in the temple courtyard. I mean, he cleaned the house. Not too peaceful there, huh? Was Jesus just teaching confusion here as as it was? But, as it's explained in Mark 11, verse 17... Jesus asked the question, is it not written? And he quotes scripture once more. Isaiah 56 verse 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God was, or he was defending the the structure and its integrity. What God the Father had meant for the temple To be. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to preserve at that particular moment. And he was going to do everything in his power to defend what that temple was supposed to be about. If he had to show some heated passion for it, so be it. He'd take that chance. Perhaps as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on that special day, we remember today... He looked along the road as he traveled on his donkey and he saw so many believers, but a lot of doubters. He carried with him a promise of peace. Yes, but he didn't promise to take away turmoil in the world, much less in Jerusalem. He didn't offer a false sense of peace. In fact, in our reading for today, he promises that by the hand of their enemies, the city would be destroyed and not one stone would be left on another. He would not take away the troubles of the world. Instead, more trouble would come their way. But he would bring peace. His kind of peace, the peace only he perhaps maybe understood at that particular point. But you think about the other trouble that was going to take place not long after Jesus was there. Within the next 35 years or so, a little bit more. Think about the turmoil that took place in in Jerusalem from the Roman oppression when they destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. There was going to be trouble. They knew it, or he knew it at least. But he would bring his peace in the midst of any kind of turmoil and trouble, not unlike what we saw in our art example concerning the bird. But was he happy? about this whole situation? I guess you could ask, was he happy with the situation concerning the money changers and all? No, no, he wasn't. Jesus looked at Jerusalem as he was riding into town and he was thinking, I'm sure, about the special week that he knew was now upon them all. And he knew what was going to have to take place even by the end of that week. The bad thing is is that he knew why it was going to have to happen as well. If you look at our passage again, yes, you'll see that there was great cheering and hosannas being spoken out loud. Yet in verse 39, we see the Pharisees were also a part of that crowd. And rather than rightfully praising the fact that the Messiah was there, coming triumphantly into Jerusalem... They were telling Jesus he should rebuke his disciples for going on the way that they were. Yet, You know the funny thing about that? It wasn't the noise that was the problem for those uh, Pharisees. It was what they were saying. They were worried that this Messiah wasn't going to overthrow Roman government. That was the least of their worries, okay? They knew. He was coming to overthrow them. So Jesus looks over the crowd, some friendly, some not. He views the road that he was traveling with Jerusalem coming ever closer and he probably saw glimpses of the magnificent temple that he would soon be visiting. Perhaps he even considered the history of Jerusalem as he rode into town. Maybe he even thought a little bit about the prophets, the early fathers who called this place home. He looked at how his his father promised to send one to save the people from their sins. And as he did before raising Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead in John 11, Jesus wept. Maybe part of the tears shed were because he knew what was coming. Maybe he was thinking back to the once great town that was being overwhelmed by a law that had become man's law and not God's law any longer. Maybe it was because he tried to tell his disciples that this week was coming and it had to take place in the way that he said that it would. Maybe he wept because he knew one of his own really belonged to Satan. Maybe it's because he knew the judgment and destruction that was coming to this town because they had rejected God's offer of grace. That had to be on his mind because not too much later in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have uh, who killed the prophets and stoned those who uh, were sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing yes brothers and sisters Jesus wept because as he entered into town Jerusalem's opportunity for salvation was being hidden from their eyes by Satan I wonder if we saw Jesus today the prince of peace our peace I wonder if He would weep because of our world. Because we're heading down a path that man's law and not God's law is what we heed. Because there's such indifference to his father's word. Because there is widespread unbelief and a growing acceptance of man-made religions that we, as a politically correct world and as the church, are supposed to accept as truth and not question the foundations of. And many are doing it. Because Satan is still hiding the world's eyes from salvation today. Maybe we would have a greater passion for Jesus and what he did for us. If we simply understood Christ's passion for us a little bit more. Looking back in closing, if you were in that crowd 2,000 years ago. And you saw Jesus riding up to the gates of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. What group would you be in? Would you be cheering him on? Or would you have been one of the ones rebuking him because his groupies were too loud? If you cheered, would you be willing to take another step? It's so easy to put a branch down on the ground. Not much cost there, is there? It would also be easy if we praised Jesus. Nothing to cost there either, huh? But would you put your cloak down for him? A cloak was a fairly expensive item in those days for people who did not have a whole lot of money. And yet they needed one oftentimes. I would imagine it would have been considered a luxury almost to have one. But would you be willing to give of yourself in that manner to lay down your cloak in worship of your Lord? Would Jesus weep for joy? Or would he weep in sadness for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all that you've done and all that you continue to do for us. Our means of grace and your word is a means of grace to us as well as we understand more fully each and every time what peace is all about, what peace in your eyes is all about for us. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail, and we fail a lot. Forgive us when we don't seek your peace. We'd rather seek our own, thank you. And we do it so poorly. Thank you. For days such as this, where we can remember what Jesus has done for us. And we just praise you and we thank you because you still love us. Even after all we've done, you still love us. And for that, we praise you. Thank you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Look with me, if you will, at our catechism question.